You're listening to the expository preaching ministry of Kootenai Community Church, located in Kootenai, Idaho. We pray that Christ is exalted and your spirit is blessed by the teaching of God's Word. For more information about Kootenai Church, please visit us online at kootenaichurch.org. I want to introduce you to my friend Bruce Morak. Bruce, you and I have known each other since 2005. At least, right. Yeah. So uh, we've got a little bit of a story we want to tell here. Not so much about how you and I met, because that's really irrelevant to all of this, but a little bit about your background, uh, your salvation, what the Lord has done in your life, and then after that, uh, what you're going through now. So let's begin with the story of your conversion. Tell us how it is that the Lord sovereignly saved you. Yeah, it's a, actually a pretty amazing story. Um, uh, my my girlfriend, soon to be wife, uh, had an, uh, an aunt, a cousin, who constantly left Christian literature around the house, and um, and I would take that literature and toss it. I threw away at least thirty pamphlets and books that were Christian because I just wanted, wasn't interested at that time and had grown up in the Catholic church, but had rejected it. My parents didn't go to church and I thought this is kind of a farce. And so the first, the first time that they said, you don't have to go to church anymore was the last day I went to church. But, but uh, one night I came home from a, a party and there was a book sitting on the coffee table and the name of the book was Dear Dad, This is to Announce My Death. And I sat down and read that book, and it was the story of my life. So it talked about Good Time Charlie and how he was the hit of all the parties and the, and the, the funny guy and the, the guy who could drink the most and on and on like that. Uh, addicted to rock and roll and drugs and music and immorality but inside empty. And this book exposed all of that. And uh, then at the end of the book, uh, it was the sinner's prayer. And I prayed that prayer somewhere around five o'clock in the morning in September of 74. And I believe I sensed that a transaction took place uh, in terms of forgiveness of sin. Uh, So, um, I was kind of promoting atheism, but deep down in my heart, I knew there was a God, and I knew that God could not wait to get his hands on me. You knew you were killed. So my philosophy in life was eat, drink, and be merry, because once once he gets his hands on me, it's going to be hell. And so, uh, anyway, I prayed that prayer. I didn't know what to do. It didn't say go to church or find fellowship or start reading the Bible. So for two years, I call those my incubator years, um, I just carried a New Testament in my back pocket, and that was my symbol, the symbol that I was something. Now, your your girlfriend, fiancé, eventually your wife, I Became my wife, yeah. Yeah. Was she a believer at this time? It happened afterwards? She was a Jesus person. She had come to Christ during the Jesus movement. Okay. Okay. So what year was this, you say? Uh, 74. Yes, right after the, right after in the middle of that revolution. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So she went to Bible studies, but it was all about color aura and numerology and Jesus 
and you know some other things like that. But she had she was living a godly life, with the one minor exception. Yeah, <laughs> but she uh, was living with you. Yeah, but um, anyway, uh, I prayed the prayer that night, and before the sun came up, I asked her to marry me. I just somehow knew that was the right thing to do, and we did within a month after that. But uh, but anyway, <clears throat> for two years. For two years, I pretty much lived the same way. My life didn't change much, but I was much more miserable in my sin. And uh, and then through a series of circumstances, which I won't go into in any detail, uh, I got introduced to a couple in Sandpoint, Idaho. By this time, I moved all the way across the country via the Air Force. And... Uh, and um, this couple basically introduced us to Christ. And when uh, when the gospel was explained to Linda, she says, you know, I've, I've lived that life. I've tried to live for Jesus, but I don't ever remember making that decision. So she, that day, this lady invited her to make the decision, and she did. Um, when they asked me if I wanted to, I said, you know what, I believe I'm a Christian. And... Um, and, uh, you know, that I, but I just haven't been growing, you know, or I didn't even know what word to use, you know, but, but, uh, so that was basically the day that we both start measuring our growth, which was July 12th, 1976. So from that point on, uh, they, uh, this couple introduced us to another couple and that couple ended up taking care of us, taking us under their wings and raising us up in, in the faith and, uh, treating us like their very own children, invited us into their home and, and explained the gospel and explained Christian life. And and then in September of that same year, uh, this the lady, the my, my spiritual mother, said, Bruce, I believe God's called you to preach the gospel. And uh, that was August. And by September, I was in Bible school. Of what year? Of 76. So two years after you got saved, you yeah. were in Bible school. Yeah. Now, when you and I met in 2005, uh, you and I were cut basically from the same theological cloth in that we both affirmed the doctrines of sovereign grace in salvation. So you obviously would not have been in that camp all along. What was that transition like? Where were you introduced to some of that belief in the sovereignty of God? Well, I think I, uh, at least a couple of, of the professors at, at uh, college were teaching the reform position and and i remember uh with one of them was bruce gore and going through the book of romans with him and going through the book of hebrews with him and just just loving the the god of the sovereign god that was presented in those books and so uh so i learned to to love it and then and then read read the guys that were writing from that position and and uh so i just be, began to understand understand the scriptures that way and understand my life that way that god was sovereignly in control yeah so you you came to understand the the sovereignty of god in all of life particularly in the realm of salvation and now you look back on your life and you can see how god has guided your steps took you to the mission field yeah. in what year well we went to southern idaho in 19 got we got the call in 1986 
uh, from a little missions conference in our home church. And I felt that the preacher was speaking to me. Kept moving over to make sure he wasn't speaking to the guy behind me. But, but uh, and so we went to our to our elders at the in the church, and we said, we think maybe God's calling us to missions. What do you think? Of course, I was a Bible college graduate. Yeah, I was new at the church. I was a teacher. I expected them to say, absolutely. Yeah, no kidding. <laughs> they said, well, we we see some potential. <laughs> So that was my first humbling, which I accepted from the sovereign hand of God. And But uh, eventually we went out to southern Idaho to train with migrant workers. Worked two years. I worked out in the fields with them. And and uh, even for a while, the, the church said, we're going to send this much money every month. I said, no, 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 don't send any money. They don't get any money. Talking about the migrants. Yeah. So um, anyway, so I tried to live off my salary working in the, in the fields with the migrants and uh but i wasn't making ends meet so one day i'm talking to guillermo the guy beside me and i said so how do you guys like how do you pay the rent and on and on and he starts saying well you see that guy over there and he's my uncle and you see that gal over there and he must have pointed out 25 or 30 people and he said we all live in the same house <laughs> And I went, oh, so it's four dollars and twenty-five cents times twenty. Twenty twenty-five. I went, oh, and I called the church that night and I said, Hey, send money. <laughs> but anyway, that's where we started our training. And then uh two years later in ninety one we crossed the border into Mexico. And uh and then basically we were there until I met you. Yeah. Uh took took six years out of Mexico and came back and directed Copalala Lake Bible Camp. Then being like I am, I started hanging around Coca-Cola for six years, and then I started looking around, see what else needed to be done out there. And just coincidentally, Linda was surfing the Internet and said, hey, Pueblo Christian School needs a principal again. And I went, they do? And next thing you know, we're back in Mexico, basically back at my same job, back in the same house. And you, you uh, when the Lord saved you, you were a greasy-haired, yeah, migrant, non-worker, uh, hippie, basically. Yeah, kind of roaming around. Yeah, sleeping wherever you could. Uh, how long did it take you to cut your hair after the Lord saved you? Well, you I did cut my hair. Pretty cut guy, you are now. <laughs> You're alluding to something I can tell. Yeah. Well, I had a guy that lived out on the road where I lived out. His name was Vern Hawkins, and he had a barber shop in town. Remember Vern Hawkins? And uh, he used to give me the evil eye every time I drove by. And uh, one day I walked into Vern Hawkins' shop. And I sat there, and there was a guy in the chair. And so Vern's looking at me and wondering what in the world I'm up to. And when I got into Vern Hawkins' chair, I said, uh, take it all off, which he obliged. <laughs> and uh, he was pretty excited about being able to shave this hippie. He really took it down to... To nubs. I'll tell you what, I I walked out of there because here's what happened. My spiritual father, uh, I, I I had a panic session where I saw this this phrase about doesn't custom teach you or doesn't tradition, I forget what the word is there, but yeah. uh, that it's unnatural for oh, a man to have long hair. That's not even nature itself. 
does not even nature itself. But I think, yeah. I'll show you. It's but anyway, so I had, I had a panic attack and I ran to my spiritual father and I said, well, what does this mean? You know, because I was along there. And, and uh, he says, well, it means the, the, the times, the, the nature or the customs of the times. And I said, well, look around you. We're in Sandpoint, Idaho in the 70s. Everybody had long hair, right? He said, just think about uh, the people in our church. What if your long hair would offend one of them? And at that point in my life, all I wanted to do was please Jesus. And so when I, when I heard that, I went, <gasps> and I cut my hair off. And so when Byrne, who thought he did me, did me wrong, uh, cut off my hair, I said, I walked out of there feeling so free, like I had done the right thing yeah. for Jesus. Jesus was proud of me. And, and so uh, it was really a great victory for me. And I didn't mind at all that I had no hair. So. All right. So you have, you have uh, went to the mission field, came back, were in Sandpoint for a while, back to the mission field. Now you're currently ministering where and with whom? Well, when we came, we decided to leave Mexico in 2018 because I had basically trained to be a preacher. And it's something I always thought that I would retire, that I would go out preaching. And, uh, and so... So when we decided uh, in 2018, I had to make a major decision e either to make a long-term commitment in Mexico or terminate my relationship there and uh, so that they could get the right person in. Yeah. And because uh, it was an educational thing. And uh, that was my career field, my expertise. So uh, in 2018, we came out of Mexico and basically hooked up with Village Missions and Village Mission sends pastors to rural, dying North American churches. Uh, basically, that's that's who they're looking for to rescue those churches, uh, it's because the the villages are dying and the towns are dying, and so are the churches, unfortunately. Mm -hmm. So, so we went with Village Missions, and with Village Missions, you say yes, and then they say where, and um, and it's not quite that cut, uh, clear cut, but. But uh, anyway, they sent me to Fryant, California, which if you're from northern Idaho and they send you to California, that's like a, that's the opposite. It's like a swear word, you know, yeah. California. But anyway, you, you are a missionary to an unreached people group. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. So, yeah. Take anyway, us. and uh, it just turned out to be amazing. It turned out to be like God was orchestrating Right. The whole thing, you know. So where, what are you at? You, you, so you're in Fryant now. Yeah. Tell us what you are dealing with now. Okay. Well, uh, God sent me to a little church of about 40 people. In fact, the second Sunday we were there, we had 42 people. And um, we got there in January, and I preached my first sermon the end of January. And I got my cancer diagnosis the beginning of April, so about two two and a half months. And uh, so it's funny that the church has never known the non-cancer Bruce, basically. Yeah. Uh, so we've gone on this journey together, but um, it's just been amazing that uh, the timing is 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 uh, is just perfect because this church doesn't demand anything of me. It's uh, it's it's more of a 
It's more of a, of a maintenance job than it is leading an army job, you know, yeah. uh, mostly elderly. Uh, it's kind of a geriatric church. And, um, and they went <clears throat> seven years without a pastor, so they learned how to take care of themselves. I told them one of the first things I observed about them is how well they do the one another's because they were taking care of each other and bearing one another's burdens and helping one another out and loving one another. And, and so they just brought me into the family and continued to do that. So, so uh, you went there, your job is to shepherd them and they have ended up caring for you in different ways. Yeah. Yeah. It was just a, a, ma a perfect match. Uh, the, I was what they needed and, uh, and they were what I needed. So, so, and then, so we've gone through this whole thing together. They've been my prayer warriors and the ones calling me and offering help and visiting me and taking care of Linda when I've been in the hospital. And right, so you're dealing with cancer, what kind of cancer, how extensive is it? So yeah, the diagnosis was colon cancer. And uh, so they had to take out a third of my colon and, uh, and they got at that point, all of the cancer. Um, and I went almost a year without any cancer and then it came back metastasized to the liver and down into my into my pelvis uh, a lymph node one lymph node down in my pelvis was was also malignant so and then from there uh we took out the liver we got the liver chunk out because i don't know if you guys know this but you can take more than half the liver cut it out and toss it and that liver will regenerate itself so anyway, so that's what they do. They just take a big chunk of the liver and they got the tumor. No more. I still don't have any, any tumors in my liver. But, um, but that guy down in the, in the pelvis, he continued to hang around. So we didn't go get him. And, uh, and so that's what we're dealing with now. The, the, uh, the prognosis is terminal. So <clears throat> there's no way to cure it. It's systemic and it's everywhere. Now, now it's in uh, your colon behind your stomach. Yeah. Yeah. I have more than a dozen in my lungs. And then I have another eight behind in, in this canal here behind my breastbone uh, on my trachea, my heart, and my, and my esophagus. So, so it's, it's everywhere. So I'm going to be home a lot sooner than you guys. Maybe unless the garbage truck hits you tonight. But. So you, you, uh, Early in your salvation, came to understand the sovereignty of God in salvation, how he orchestrates all things for his glory, for our yeah. good. How has that comforted you during this stage of your life? Well, it's it's not random. It's not a random disease that just happened to strike me. Um, uh, the disease in my body isn't random, and, and what he has for me is not random. So... He's purposely taking me. He's walking with me. He's not, he didn't throw the cancer down there and say, let's see how you deal with this. Yeah. But he's walking with me. And then I have learned so much about him and getting ready to meet him, you know. And uh, the more, the more I gaze upon his face, the, the more I, uh, I understand what Paul's tension was in Philippians, you know, yeah. that. Be absent with the body, or I mean, uh, to 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 die is Christ, and uh, how does that go? I lost it. To, to live is Christ. To live is Christ, and to die is gain. Yes. And um, 
And I understand it for a couple of reasons. One, because I have people here that inevitably I'm go I'm going to hurt. It's not really me. Yeah. And I don't want to do that. Um, but I so want to go. I'm so ready to go. And it's to me, it's it's like a bonus that I have a legitimate reason to die. Yeah. And be with him, you know. And so that's been, but I can't say that everywhere <laughs> without, without hurting people, you know, so, but when they're, when, when we're looking at all these life extending things down here and down in Tijuana and, and all over the place, I'm like, maybe I don't want to extend my life. <laughs> maybe I want to go home, you know, I mean, I've lived a great life. And God, so good to you. God has been so, so good. And I could talk about that and definitely fill up that little phone. Yeah. But, uh, as you're, as you're dealing with the cancer diagnosis, what, what are you struggling with? If anything? Um, well, I mean, it all sounds very beautiful. What's right on the other side of the veil, but getting to the veil is a little hard. Yeah. It's messy. You know, you're not, you're not scared of dying. No, yeah. no, no. I think, I think I'm good with God. Oh, yeah. So ready to go. But, uh, it would have been nice to have a, a nice, clean cancer where I just lay down in bed one night and I go to be with God, you know. But my cancer is messy and ugly and, may I say, crappy. And uh, so it's not clean. So I, no. I wish it was. But So that, that part's a struggle, the pain and the, and the discomfort. And... Uh, have you doubted or wrestled at all with the doctrine of God's sovereignty and goodness through this? Yeah, a little bit. In what ways? Well, um, somewhere down in my deep self-righteous soul, <laughs> I think, God, I did everything right. I did. I did what you told me to do. I, I, you know, I, I went to the mission field. I, you know. Some would say that I sacrificed. I don't think it was, but uh, in fact, I think it was just the opposite. Somebody said that to me once. I said, actually, I think the sacrificing person is the one sitting here in this pew every Sunday. I said, I haven't sacrificed anything. But anyway, um, so, but a quick dose of the scripture gets rid of that. It, it, it does. It's, it's just not real. Yeah. It's make-believe, you know, and so he's not punishing me. For something I did wrong, it's not karma. Um, you know, it's a gift. Yeah, it really is a, a gift. So, and how many of us get advance notice like this? Uh, why don't you plan on being dead in six months or so? And uh, so I got everything together. I got my will together finally, and and my power of attorney, and I'm getting things ready for Linda so that yeah. she's not. I don't know where he where he keeps anything, you know, so she knows where I keep everything. So I heard a, a professor at the Master's Seminary who died from cancer refer to cancer as the kind killer because it gives you a chance to, to prepare to die, yeah. to say goodbye, to get things in order, yeah. to make the transition, to get to know the Lord in a deeper way before you actually go to see him. And in that way, it's a it's a gentle. Yeah. 
grace. And one thing that I have uh, seen that I had never seen before is the power of hundreds of people praying for you. And that is mind-blowing. And, uh, and it gives people an open opportunity because I have cancer to, to express their love. Yeah. Which sometimes, especially men, but, uh, you know, uh, uh, that they don't do that. But you think of this guy's, I might not see this guy again, you yeah. know, and so, but just the power of prayer when, when people call me and tell me that they're praying for me and I can, like, I'm like, I know you are. I feel it. I feel like God is just carrying me through this whole thing. So, and I know it's in response to the prayers of, of his saints. So. And then this entire time, you trust in the sovereignty of God and his goodness. Right. Knowing that he carries you through it and he yeah. gives you the grace to deal with it moment by moment. And I did go through the argument with him like, well, who's going to take care of Linda? And uh, his answer to that was, well, who do you think's been taking care of her all these years? And I went, oh, yeah, yeah, you're right. So he doesn't need me. He's used me, but. Yeah, doesn't need you. Yeah, I feel a little used, but. <laughs> but yeah, he doesn't need me. He'll take care of her like he always has. Through all of this, the Lord has been sustaining you. He's been teaching you. And uh, is there anything else that you would say concerning your experiences and what you've learned through all of this? Um, well, uh, I have a song that I learned when I was a young Christian, the Cares Chorus. You know that song? I don't think I do. It's a it's a great song and it's so simple theologically and so profound. And it basically just says, I cast all my cares upon you. I lay all of my burdens down at your feet. And this is the key verse for me. And any time that I don't know what to do, I cast all my cares upon you. And I find myself praying that all the time, like, Lord, what? how am I supposed to? What am I supposed to do? You know, I I wish they would give us a practice run when he's going to give us cancer, you know? Yeah. So people will say something and I'll say, I don't know. It's my first time. <laughs> you know? <laughs> uh, but anyway, it's, it's so true. And he meets us there. He's not, he doesn't smack you around and say, grow up and act more mature. But, uh, but, when you're doubting and when you're when you're weak, he's there. Yeah, and he through, knows he's there, and he doesn't berate us, you know. Or through all of this, I've I've known you for since 2005. Since 2022, we're at a shepherds conference right now together. Your yeah. first shepherds conference. Yeah. Um, in all of that time, I have known you to be somebody who has a great sense of humor. You can be serious, theological, profound, wise all of that and yet your ability to be quick-witted and have a, a witticism or a pun or something like that has been a mark of anybody who's known you for all these years and through all of this that hasn't changed you're still the same bruce you're not you're not morbid you're not yeah you're not gloomy you're not anything it's just, you're bruce yeah well it's, it gives you perspective, but the fact is, is we are all terminal. <laughs> and, uh, and so 
God's just given me the privilege of knowing a little bit ahead of time. And quite frankly, I don't know anything, right? Yeah. Um, I've already outlived three months, six months, nine months. I've had six months, four different times I've been told, you've got six more months. So, and, uh, so I've way outlived all of that. So nobody actually knows what they're talking about. And uh, they may be reading from a textbook, but they don't know. They don't know, and I don't know. And so you have to live life in both worlds, you know. For the person who is watching this, can you close by explaining to them how they can come to know the God of all grace and comfort and peace? Can you explain what the gospel is that you trusted in and that you're trusting in today? Right. Well, the, uh, the gospel in a nutshell is that we have a predicament. Because you don't want me to say God hates you and has a hell of a plan for your life, right? No. Um, um, we have a problem. It's similar to cancer in that it is terminal. Systemic. Uh, and it's called, it's systemic and it's called sin. And, um, and what we deserve is everlasting condemnation that's we're born into condemnation and uh and there is no remedy there's only one name given under all of heaven by which a man can be saved and that name is jesus christ so god sent his son uh to be the savior he's the answer to that uh for those that are that are looking looking for the remedy jesus christ is the answer to that and um and god is the one who sovereignly calls um but the offer is open to whosoever will and uh it just so happens that whosoever will will mm -hmm. but uh, we, we're not going into that so jesus christ is the answer the problem is sin jesus christ gave his life on the cross a real historical event where he laid down his life for our sin. He was a perfect sacrifice, pleasing to God, uh, satisfying the wrath of God. So the result of that was an unfair swap. Jesus Christ got my sin. I got his righteousness. He took my sin to the cross and to the grave. And, uh, and I uh, have newness of life and abundant of life and i have a life that i never had in fact i was dead and now i am alive um and just because you're and, dying doesn't mean you're not going to keep living yeah. right yeah so um and that is not because i was anybody special but because i cried out to god i uh i asked god for help and he rescued me and uh, introduced me, brought me to his son, and that is available to anybody uh, if we will repent, turn away from our sin, and turn towards God in faith. God will respond, and, uh, and that's that results in salvation. So, and beyond that, it's profound and it's wonderful and it's an awesome journey. But the uh, end result is that I no, no longer fear death, even though it's coming, but the sting has been removed. Yeah. And uh, 
and I'm kind of looking forward to it. <laughs> All right. Thank you, brother. Yep. God bless you. Thank you for listening to the latest podcast from Kootenai Church. If you'd like to learn more about Kootenai Church or to donate to our church ministry, you can do so online by visiting KootenyChurch.org. We hope you enjoyed this podcast and pray you'll join us again next time. Once again, thank you for listening.